We are beginning a new sermon series today on the Lord's Prayer. Every week at our Sunday service, we pray the Lord's Prayer together. And when we pray it, it is important that we don't just dial it in. We need to understand and agree with the things our lips are saying when we pray the Lord's Prayer. So for that reason, over the next six weeks, we are going to go slowly through the Lord's Prayer, looking in depth at each of its six petitions or requests. Beginning with the first petition, which is found in Matthew 6, verse 9. We've printed the surrounding verses to give us some context, but that one verse, Matthew 6, verse 9, is our second Bible reading today, and I will read it now. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's bow our heads and pray for God's help in understanding and applying his word. Heavenly Father, your Son Jesus says that mankind does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. That makes us hungry for your word, which gives real life. Please feed us with your word this morning. For Jesus' sake, Amen. In their 2011 book, All Things Shining, the philosophers Hubert Dreyfus and Sean Dorrance Kelly argue that nothing is sacred in modern life. And according to Dreyfus and Kelly, that's a problem. Here's what they say at the start of their book. The world doesn't matter to us the way it used to. The world used to be a world of sacred, shining things. The shining things now seem far away. Dreyfus and Kelly go on to say that without sacred things, we're left with, quote, indecision and lostness and sadness and angst. If you look around and see indecision and lostness and sadness and angst, I'm sure Dreyfus and Kelly would tell you, don't put all the blame on COVID, because those things were already in place before the pandemic. They're what you're left with when nothing is sacred anymore. Well, the first petition of the Lord's Prayer speaks directly to Dreyfus and Kelly's observation about modern life. It tells us there is still something sacred in this world, something to draw us out of our lostness, something to stir up fresh wonder and devotion, the name of God. The first petition of the Lord's Prayer deals with the sacredness of God's name. That old-fashioned word, hallowed, means consecrated, treated as holy. A name that is hallowed 
is a sacred name. Now, God's name is sacred because he is sacred. A name identifies someone. It's as if a name is tied by a length of string to the person it identifies. Just say the name and the the person comes to mind. I was once on a summer camp where there were two James Fletchers. It caused identification problems. We often had to clarify which of the James Fletchers we were talking about. But then we discovered that one of them was occasionally called Bill because he looked like a character called Bill in a popular movie at the time, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. For the rest of the summer camp, that James Fletcher was always Bill. And whenever we said Bill Fletcher, it brought to mind that one particular person, his appearance, his character, his sense of humor, his love for golf. That is what names do. They lead us to the particular person they identify. Names allow us to think about someone or talk about them, even when they're not in front of us. How is a person's reputation boosted or trashed when they're not physically present It starts with a mention of their name, which brings that person to the attention of everyone in the conversation. When we use God's name, he himself comes to mind. God's name leads us to him. His name is sacred because he is sacred. There are Two parts to the rest of this sermon. First, a name to be revealed. God's name can't be honoured, treated as sacred, unless God's name is known. So we'll ask the question, what is God's name? And we'll also think about how God's name is revealed to people who don't yet know it. Then we'll move on to the second part of the sermon, a name to be reverenced. We'll think about what it means in in practice to treat God's name as sacred. One message will, I hope, be clear throughout the whole sermon. When we ask for God's name to be hallowed, we can be the answer to our own prayer. Well, let's get underway. Here's that first heading again. A name to be revealed. What is God's name? In Matthew 6 verse 9, Jesus is speaking to a group of people who were all Jewish, and they knew that God's name was Yahweh. Now, that is not the divine name we're going to end up with this morning, but we do need to start there, because the people listening to Jesus would have immediately assumed Yahweh was the name Jesus had in mind when he said to God, Hallowed be your name. Most English Bibles translate Yahweh as the Lord, with the word Lord in uppercase letters. So whenever you see the Lord printed like that in the Old Testament, which is often multiple times per page, what you're really looking at is Yahweh, God's personal name. The name Yahweh sounds like the Hebrew for I am, and it's connected to the memorable words spoken by God to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. Unlike everything else that exists, Yahweh is who he is. 
He doesn't depend on anything else for life or meaning. He alone is self-existent. If we want to find something, anything that is truly sacred, we have to go to Yahweh because he alone is the source of all things. I am who I am. Now, just as human names help us tell the difference between people, think of those two James Fletchers, one of whom became Bill. The name Yahweh distinguished the God of Israel from all the other gods worshipped in Old Testament times, such as Molech or Chemosh or Baal or Dagon. The Israelites knew their God was different from Dagon the Philistines' God because their God had a different name. Listen to what David says when he and the Philistine giant Goliath exchange words before their battle begins. David says to Goliath, I come against you in the name of Yahweh Almighty. This day Yahweh will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down. Goliath and all the other Philistines listening would have understood that David was talking about his God, the God of Israel, because David used the God of Israel's personal name. I come against you, David tells Goliath, in the name of Yahweh Almighty. When we turn from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we find that God takes on a new name. In Matthew 28, Jesus uses the same in the name of formula that we just heard David use, but this time it leads to a different name. Jesus tells his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is a new name for the same God. The God of the New Testament is the same as the God of the Old Testament but he takes on that new name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which reflects information revealed in the New Testament. The God of the Bible is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. God's New Testament name has the same purpose in our period of salvation history as the name Yahweh had in Old Testament times. It differentiates him from other gods that people worship. That point is even easier to grasp when you consider that the Son of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is named Jesus. So, for example, if I say to a Muslim, the God that I worship is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or if I simply say, I worship Jesus as God, that Muslim will likely reply, I worship a different God. You and I don't worship the same God. Or if I say to a Hindu person, the God I worship is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they will likely say, I worship Brahman, and Brahman is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You and I don't worship the same God. Or if I say, 
I worship Jesus as God to a Jewish person who doesn't acknowledge Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, that Jewish person will likely respond, you and I worship different gods. And so naming God differentiates him from the other gods that are worshipped throughout the world, which is helpful and important to know. Jesus himself says in John 14 verse 6, No one comes to the Father except through me. So when people reject Jesus as God the Son, they can't reach God the Father. This is why Christians throughout history have believed that people need to know God's name to trust in him and be saved. In the book of Acts, Peter and John heal a paralyzed man. Peter says, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stands before you healed. Then Peter says, There is no other name by which we must be saved. God's name needs to be known. It needs to be made known. People need to hear it and understand that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Jesus of Nazareth is the Son. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying for God's name to be revealed to a lost world so that more and more people can be saved and treat God's name as sacred. Earlier I said that we ourselves can be the answer to this prayer, hallowed be your name. And that's true when it comes to the revealing of God's name. We can contribute to the global proclamation of God's name through mission. It seems to me that the American church has an extraordinary opportunity. There are still a lot of Christians in America, praise God. And in comparison with Christians elsewhere in the world, we're very wealthy. And that means we have a God-given opportunity to use our wealth to fund missionary work all over the world. In my eyes, that is the great opportunity and responsibility of the American church. We try to do that in our own small way here at Good Shepherd. 10% of our budget is given to external organizations, and most of that money goes to overseas organizations seeking to spread the gospel. Simply by giving to your church, which is such a, an ordinary component of discipleship, you can be the answer to your prayer for God's name to be hallowed. If you've been a Christian for some time, I expect you know one or two people who have themselves gone out to the mission field. They're seeking to reveal God's name to people who don't yet know it. And my guess is they send out news updates by email. I wonder, are you on their mailing lists? If not, why don't you reach out to them and ask to be put on their mailing list? It can be a thrilling thing to receive the latest news update from a missionary. And you can pray through that email in two or three minutes. It's so doable. If you don't know any missionaries personally yourself, then one thing you could do is visit the recommended links page of our church website. 
And near the bottom of the page, you'll see a link to a prayer guide produced by an Anglican mission agency called Crosslinks, a very faithful gospel-centered mission agency. Click on the links on uh, the link to the Crosslinks prayer guide, and you'll find a PDF that you can download with a short paragraph every day about one of their missionaries. You could access it on your phone. You could pray through that daily paragraph on the subway platform as you wait for your train to come. That's one way to answer your own prayer for God's name to be hallowed. Of course, we can also reveal God's name ourselves by speaking about God to people who don't yet know him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christians aren't hugely popular in secular Manhattan, but we're not yet so unpopular that we need to be secretive about our faith. That time hasn't yet come, praise God. It is still possible to put our Christianity on our sleeves, on the front of the bus, if you see what I mean. When a co-worker asks you what you did over the weekend, you could say, I went to church yesterday. It was good. Or you could just say, I went to church yesterday. (laughs) When they hear that, they will register that you're a committed Christian. And at some point down the line, they will likely ask you questions about your Christian faith. And that will give you a very natural opportunity to talk about God the Father sending Jesus, his Son, to live and die and rise from the dead by the power of the Spirit so that all who trust in him would have their sins forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life. How wonderful it is to reveal God's name to those who don't yet know it, to those who don't yet treat it as sacred, so that they too might start hallowing God's name. You can be the answer to your own prayer for God's name to be hallowed. It's time for us to move on to the second and final part of the sermon, a name to be reverenced. A name to be reverenced. To reverence something is to treat it as sacred. But what will it mean for us in practice to do that with God's name? One answer is found in the Old Testament in the third of the Ten Commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Anyone who uses the name Jesus Christ as an expletive is verbally trampling on the Son of God. Names are tied to the person they identify. Trample on the name, and you're effectively trampling on the person. And since God, for the Christian, is shorthand for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we mustn't use God as an expletive. To do that is to trample on the creator of the universe, We're to treat God's name as sacred on our lips. If you're someone who says, oh my God, as a conversational filler, ask God to help you break that bad habit. God's name should be reverenced. 
I once met an engineering student who was doing an internship with Bentley Motors. Bentleys are very high-end cars. They're arguably the most luxurious cars money can buy. The student who was interning with Bentley told me that I would never be able to find the name Bentley or the winged Bentley logo on the floor of their cars or on the footmats that they sell. The student said that the reason was Bentley doesn't want people putting their muddy feet on its name. Bentley values its name and it doesn't want its name trampled on. When I was preparing this sermon, I checked on Bentley's website to see if that was still true. And it is, so far as I can tell, official Bentley floor mats, floor mats sold by Bentley, are entirely plain. They have no company name or logo. That luxury car company doesn't want its name to be trampled on. Well, how much more should that be true when it comes to the name of God? We mustn't use God's name loosely. It's sacred. But there is more to that command, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, than everything we've just been thinking about. Because taking someone's name isn't just about speech. The word translated take in that commandment can also mean to bear, to carry, to lift up. The Israelites took God's name. They bore it. They they carried it. They lifted it up. They were known as Yahweh's people. And in the third commandment, they were told not to bear his name in a way that was vain meaning worthless. Putting it positively, they were told to carry his name in a way that reflected well on Yahweh their God. That's the full meaning of the third commandment. So in the third commandment, we see that God's name should be hallowed not just through speech, although that's an important part of it, but also through the behavior of the people who bear his name. And that's as true as ever in our own period of salvation history. Christians bear the name of Jesus Christ. Paul points out in 1 Timothy 6 that when Christians behave badly, God's name is slandered by the non-Christians who see that bad behavior. The author Jen Wilkin puts it like this. We can misuse the name of God by speaking hallowed words while living hollow lives. By speaking hallowed words while living hollow lives. Alternatively, the way we live can cause God's name to be glorified. Listen to Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul says, we constantly pray for you that our God may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. That's the outcome. When God fulfills our good purposes, the name of 
our Lord Jesus is glorified in us, in people like you and me. When that happens, God's name is hallowed. That's part of what we're asking for when we pray the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. We're asking God to help us live lives that bring glory to the name of Jesus. So I have to ask, can you sincerely pray, hallowed be your name? Do you dare to pray the first petition of the Lord's Prayer? Are you genuinely committed to living in a way that brings glory to Jesus? If you're now feeling hesitant about praying that prayer, let me say it is good to bear the name of Jesus. It is good to represent him as one of his followers. How sweet it is to bear the name of the one who gave his life for us, pouring out his sacrificial blood at the cross so that all who trust in him would be spared God's punishment because Jesus lovingly took it in our place. It is an amazing privilege to bear the name of our loving Lord. Bearing his name brings weightiness and meaning to all we do. In a world of indecision and lostness and sadness and angst, we can lift up God's sacred name every day through being known as Christians and living accordingly. Hallowed be your name is a high-intensity prayer. When we pray it sincerely, we're signing up to be the answer to that prayer ourselves. We're signing up to live a life that glorifies the sacred name of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me close with another quote from Jen Wilkin. She says this, When God's name is hallowed on our lips and in our living, we rightly reflect him to a profane world. We shine like stars amid a crooked generation, and who knows who will be drawn to that light. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to help us pray the first petition of the prayer your Son taught us. Help us to see what a wonderful privilege it is to bear his name, to bear your name. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen us to live accordingly. Help us to break any bad habit we might have when it comes to saying your name. And we pray, Father, that as we reflect you to a watching world, some might be drawn to your son Jesus for his salvation and begin hallowing his name themselves. Amen.